Good morning, everyone. <coughs> uh, it's so nice to be here. This is the very first time I visited uh, visit Brooklyn Zen Center. But when I came here yesterday, I felt kind of at home. <laughs> when I saw Joshin-san's photo and Katagiri Roshi's photo in here. Uh, Joshi-san is uh, Saoki Roshi's, Saoki Kodo Roshi's dis non-disciple. And that means my teacher, Uchiyama Kosho Roshi's Dharma sister. So Joshin-san is my Dharma aunt. And when Joshin-san came to, went to San Francisco to teach sewing, sometimes I took her to the airport in Japan and Branch Hartman pick him up, pick her, picked her up. So from that time, that means early 70s, I had some connection with this lineage. Uh, so I'm really happy to be here and share Dogen Zen's teaching and also practice of the Zen. <coughs> uh, first of all, I'd like to introduce a little bit, introduce myself because my talk and also my understanding uh, comes from my practice. I'm not a scholar, so I have been studying Dogen to understand what I'm doing. <laughs> uh, so my talk came from my experience, uh, so I think it might be helpful for you to understand what I'm talking about. Uh, I was born in 1948, uh, so uh, I became 65 last month in June. Uh, when I was uh, 17 years old, that was 1965, I had a chance to read the first book Uchiyamurashi published. And the title of the book was the Jiko in Japanese, and that means the self. And uh, if I talk in detail, it's become a long story, but when I read that book, somehow I wanted to become his disciple. I wanted to live like him, even though I knew nothing about Buddhism or Zen. Uh, somehow I felt like I was sucked to his way of life. So uh, that was when I was a high school student. So I decided to go to uh, uh, Komazawa University to study what is Buddhism and what is Dogen's teaching. Uh, and while I was a university student for about one year, I studied Buddhism to be a scholar uh, because that time I had a low back pain and it lasted uh, two or three years and I thought I, I couldn't sit there then. So uh, I, when I studied uh, Buddhism as a, to be a scholar, one of my professors said, don't study Dogen. <laughs> First, you need to study languages, such as you know, Pali, Sanskrit, Chinese, and we need to study some, at least two Western languages. One is, of course, English, 
and another was French. I, I studied French. Uh, so I studied about f uh, five languages, <laughs> including Japanese. Uh, but after one year, I thought this is not what I wanted to do. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that same professor also said, in order to become a real scholar, I had to read books 10 hours a day for 10 years. And he said that was a starting point to work as a scholar. And uh, I knew, you know, Uchiamoro said we should sit for 10 years silently. So I thought I had to make choice, <laughs> which is better. <laughs> There's no better or worse, but when I studied uh, Buddhism to be a scholar, I felt like this is something like uh, reading recipes without cooking, and tasting, and sharing. Uh, so uh, I decided to become a practitioner instead of a scholar. And I visited Uchiyamaroshi and asked him to be his disciple. And I was ordained when I was as a priest or a monk when I was 22. That was 1970. So it took me five years to make that final decision. And when at that time, I was still a university student, and uh, I wanted to quit the school. But Uchiyamuroshi uh, encouraged me to finish the education. So I, I returned to Tokyo and finished the school and uh, entered Atantaiji. And then I started to practice with my teacher at Antaiji. He, he asked me if I wanted to study English. And of course, I, I didn't want to. <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I studied English from the uh, middle school, high school, and college, university, uh, almost 10 year, for 10 years. But I didn't speak any English at all, and I was not interested in. But when Uchiyamuroshi asked me, you know, I couldn't say no. <laughs> Uh, the reason why he asked uh, not only me but his his disciples to study English was you know that was early 70s. There are met many people from United States and Europe came to Kyoto to practice them. Uh, and Uchiyamaroshi wanted to explain the meaning of Zazen practice and Dogen's teaching but he didn't speak any uh, Western languages. And there are few American people who could uh, speak Japanese, so they translated, but they are not so, they didn't have so much under deep understanding about Buddhism. So it might be different to really uh, translate. So he said, uh, from now on, we need someone who had a, a deep and thorough experience of Zazen and uh, understanding of Buddhism and Dogen's teaching and explain using Western language. That's why he asked, I think, all, almost all of his disciples. 
and only three of us <laughs> said yes. <laughs> and unfortunately, I was one of them. <laughs> you know, to me, it's really difficult to say no. <laughs> that was my pro that was still, that is my problem. <laughs> that is why I'm here today. <laughs> That was the original mistake. <laughs> so those three of us started to go to uh, English school in Osaka from Kyoto. And actually, the English school was run by one of Suzuki Roshi's disciples, whose name was uh, Petsi, Graham Petsi who I think one, he was one of the first American Zen practitioners who practiced at Eheji, uh, I think, uh, end of 60s. And uh, somehow, fence, uh, not end, beginning of 60s. And somehow, when Sawakirosh passed away in 65, uh, Graham Petty was in Kyoto and he practiced with Uchiamurosh at Antaiji when Uchiamurosh had 49-day session as a memorial of Sawakiroshi's death. Sawakiroshi uh, said when, as, a, his, as his will, don't do a funeral ceremony. And Uchiamurosh accepted his will, so he didn't have funeral ceremony. Instead of funeral ceremony, he had 49-day session. I think they sat about nine hours every day for nine, 49 days. And Graham Petty was during that session, so he was very supportive to Uchamuroshi's uh, teaching and practice. So uh, Uchamuroshi uh, sent three of his disciples to uh, Graham uh, Petty's uh, English school. Anyway, that was how I started to study English again. <coughs> and when I practiced at Antaiji until Uchiyamuroshi retired in 1975, uh, Uchiyamuroshi asked those three of us came to this country. So we went to Massachusetts and started to work on uh, establishing a very small zendo uh, named Pioneer Valley Zendo. And I stayed there for about five years, from uh, 76 to 81. So that was kind of a beginning of my bad karma <laughs> with English. Uh, but when I finished uh, university, I thought until then I read too many books and too much thinking, and I didn't like it. So I, when I started to practice Atantaiji, I put all my books in the closet and try not read any books. So uh, I read only the text Uchiyamuroshi was giving uh, lectures. So I was very happy not to read books and study Buddhism. Just do it. <laughs> it's much better than 
reading and thinking about doing it. So, uh, and I practiced in that way for 10 years until I returned to uh, Kyoto in 81. Uh, I had to go back to Japan uh, from Massachusetts because, you know, while I was uh, in Massachusetts, I had, I had to, I had a lot of physical work. We bought five, five or sixty-six acres of land in the woods in the western Massachusetts. We had really nothing. We cut the trees and buildings, then though, and uh, dug uh, stumps and uh, made a uh, vegetable garden. And even we didn't have water. So I dug a well with hands. That kind of uh, work, and I continued practice uh, in the same way as Atantaichi. Uchiyamuroshi's practice was kind of very unique, even within the Sotozen traditions. Uh, he really focused on uh, sitting, Zazen. So uh, usually we sat uh, f from five to eight in the morning, three hours, three uh, period. One period was 50 minutes. And we sat another two periods in the evenings, so five periods a day. And we had five-day session each month, except uh, February and August, because it's too cold in February and too hot in August. So uh, during those sessions, we sat a 14 period a day, from four to six, and we had a breakfast, and we sat again from seven to uh, 12, five period in row, and we had lunch, and we sat again from one to six in the afternoon, and uh, we had supper, and we sat another two periods from uh, six to nine. So we sat from four to nine, except three meals, and short breaks after each meal. That was his practice. And we had that kind of session uh, 10 times a year. And I continued to practice in that way for 10 years until I went back to uh, Kyoto. <coughs> uh, when I went back to Japan, you know, my body was half broken. I had pain on my neck and shoulders and elbows and knees and low back, or right hand, right, si right hand side, because of too much work. <laughs> you know, in my 20s, I thought the more I worked, more I used my body, the more, the stronger my body became. <laughs> but after I became 30, it didn't work in that way. <laughs> so my body became half broken. <laughs> anyway, so uh, Uchamuroshi asked me to work on translation, translate Dogen's uh, writings and uh, Uchamuroshi's uh, books into English with one of my Dharma brothers who was American. Uh, his name uh, is Tom Wright, that's Tom Wright. And that was the beginning 
I started to work on uh, translation. Before that, when I was in Massachusetts, uh, we didn't have you know, many English books on Soto Zen. So sometime, one, one day, someone brought a translation of Fukanza Zengi. I don't remember whose translation. But when I read that translation, I couldn't be, believe this was Dogen's. <laughs> so I tried to make my own translation. That was a first uh, translation work for me. And uh, so I first translated Fukanza Zengi. And after I went back to Japan, I continued. Uh, that was uh, early 80s, so I have been working on translation for uh, about or more than 30 years. So uh, in order to translate, I have to understand what you know, Uchamuroshi and Dogen want to say. So I had to study again. Uh, in order to study Dogen, to understand Dogen, we have to study almost entire Buddhism. So after 10 years of just sitting and working, I had to, I started to study Buddhism and Dogen's teaching. And uh, to me, that was very nice. I mean, after, during the 10 years of just practice, uh, I had, before that, I thought I understood you know, at least some of Dog Buddha's teaching and Dogen's teaching in my early 20s. But after 10 years of just practicing, I had to renew my understanding. So it was very helpful for me to study uh, Buddhism and Dogen's teaching again. Anyway, that is how I have been uh, practicing after that you know, sitting and studying go together. Anyway, uh, in Kyoto, Uchamuroshi encouraged me to f establish a small place where I can, I could pra practice with uh, people from outside of Japan. You know, many people came to Kyoto, but there was not good place to, for those people to practice. Many of, you know, Japanese priests didn't speak English or any Western languages. So uh, I wanted, I started to work on having a small place where I could uh, continue five-day session, Uchiyamaroshi's style of session, and work on translations with those Westerners and study Buddhism and Dogen's uh, teachings. And I practiced, and I worked on that way about 12 years, until 1992. Uh, at that time, I borrowed a temple, small temple outside of Kyoto. Uh, the owner of the temple had a big temple in the city of Kyoto, and he allowed us to uh, leave one of the small temples as a caretaker. Um, but that priest died in 1992, so I thought I had to leave that place. And at the same time, I was invited to uh, 
uh, moved to Minneapolis, back from the Minnesota Zen Meditation Center. Uh, you know, uh, that center was established by Katagiri Dainin Roshi, in, I think in the 1972, a few years after Suzuki Roshi died, Katagiri Roshi moved from California to uh, Minneapolis. And uh, Katagiri Roshi uh, died in 1990 with uh, cancer. And after for, for two or three years, uh, they didn't have teacher, though they continued to practice. So they uh, asked me to, to go there to be an interim head teacher. So I taught there at, for three years as a head teacher and one more year as a part-time teacher. Then I wanted to establish uh, my own practice center where I could practice in my own style. That means uh, while I was at uh, MZMC, uh, that was the first time I had a session with giving lectures and uh, work period or chanting and doksan. You know, before that, for 20 years, from 1970 to 92, I, my, for me, practice is just really just sitting. Even during session, we had no, no chant, no doksan, no work, nothing but sitting. And that was really uh, good to me. It was really difficult. But it was very, you know, peaceful. But when uh, I started to uh, do session in that kind of that style with uh, chanting uh, lectures, you know, I was a teacher, so I had to talk. And uh, before the session, I, I didn't have time to make preparation for the lectures, so I had to work, prepare, make preparation for the lecture during session. That means I had to think. <laughs> thinking and not thinking are not so <laughs> competitive. <laughs> so it was a really difficult practice for me. Uh, you know, I try not to think during the Zen, but in order to uh, give a good lecture, I had to think. <laughs> so this is really contradicted. And uh, so it was really difficult. And also, I didn't like doksan. <laughs> you know, I never had do that kind of practice with my teacher. So, both Saki Roshi and Uchiyamuroshi never did doksan at all. So that was very new, and I didn't like it that kind of you know formal setting you know i'm sitting and the person you know made three prostrations toward me i felt like uh, i'm in behalf of buddha <laughs> so i should not make any mistake i didn't like that idea <laughs> you know I, I don't mind to talk with people if i can make mistakes you mean i mean while i have been you know uh, doing doksan in that way, uh, I started to see, you know, people 
give me uh, about three kinds of questions. One is about their question about Dharma. And the second kind is about the difficulty of sitting, how much, you know, how they should do, deal with pain or sleepiness or busy mind, that kind of question. And third kind is their problems in their lives. And I don't think uh, I was a right person to give, uh, you know, answer to that kind of question because I was not, I'm not American, so I don't really understand the American people's problem. So I didn't like this. Of course, I'm, you know, uh, it's okay with me to talk with American, you know, their uh, personal problems at their uh, work or home, but uh, if I can make a mistake, that means I can offer my understanding and my uh, opinion, but I didn't feel I'm right person to give answer in behalf of Buddha. So still I don't have Doksan in my temple. But if they want, if people want to come and talk with me, they can come to my office and uh, we talk uh, in an informal way. And I always say, don't believe me. <laughs> don't trust me. <laughs> anyway, uh, so that kind of, that practice was very difficult and yet very helpful for me. You know, I had to talk about uh, my understanding of uh, Zen or Buddhism and Dogen's teaching especially in English was really difficult. It's almost torture. <laughs> but uh, it was very uh, helpful for me. And after uh, I f finished uh, the term at MZMC and start, tried to start my own practice center, uh, unfortunately, I was asked to move to California. At that time, a Japanese Soto school established a center at that time uh, named uh, Soto Zen Education Center, originally in Los Angeles. And they asked me to be the director of that center. And the task of that center is kind of to be a bridge between Japanese Soto school and American Soto Zen uh, communities. And also around that time, uh, you know, there are several uh, lineages in American Soto Zen, and they, are, they don't have much ex uh, exchanges. So each lineage are kind of uh, isolated and independent. So that's one of the tasks of that center was to promote the sense of Soto Zen community in America and make a bridge with Japanese Soto school. That means I had to, you know, travel all around this country and visit many Zen centers and uh, share the Dharma and practice. That was uh, what I did for 13 years. From 
but uh, during that period in 2000, uh, no, I worked full time on that uh, for the center until uh, for five years until 2003, and I thought I could quit that job. That was that was kind of my commitment, and they accepted. But then in 2003、今度は、ま、テンプルインブルーミントンネームサンシンジはスピリットでセットドントクイットコンティニューとビザディレクターオブダットセンターアザハーフタイムディレクターそうアイハッドコンティニューアンティル2010そうダットメイクサーティ
So it's kind of diff different from usual session. I think during usual session, uh, thinking is not recommended, usually. And thinking, reading, writing are not recommended. At some Zen centers, even the uh, books on, in the library was covered. Uh, I think that is too, kind of too much. <laughs> even we don't see the books, we can think. <laughs> so it doesn't work so well anyway. <coughs> uh, but during this Genzoe, uh, you need to think. And you have to write, read the text. And please write down what I'm saying, if you think that is important and please uh, read the text, and also uh, you know, talking. Uh, at my temple, San Shinji, during Genzoe, I allow people to speak. So this is not a silent uh, retreat, but please keep a quiet atmosphere and to limit the talk about uh, what we are studying. Uh, but please keep silent during the Zen, of course, and kinhin and meals. Other, otherwise, you can uh, talk about what you are studying. S and so it might be, you might have the same difficulty I experienced when I started to practice as a teacher at MZMC. You know, you have to think, and yet you should stop thinking <laughs> during the Zen. You know, this is a really hard uh, practice. It, these two are really contradicted. But somehow, uh, I, think, I think it's helpful. Anyway, that is what we are going to do. And during this Genzoe, so during Genzoe, we study 13 fascicles of Shobo Genzo. And this time, uh, I was asked to talk, study a Shobo Genzo Zenki. But Zenki is quite short, so it might be uh, enough to talk uh, for five, to study five days. I give uh, two lectures a day. Uh, that means three hours a day. It's kind of difficult for me to talk about Dogen for three hours a day in English. But to, you know, really fully discuss and understand uh, what Dogen meant is, uh, takes really a lot of time. So uh, three hours a day for five days is not too much. But I thought probably Zenki is not uh, long enough. So I think another one, Tsuki, might be a good thing, good fascicle together, study together with Zenki. These two are kind of very uh, closely connected. 
this, uh, the English translation of Zenki in my translation is total function. And this Tsuki is moon. You know, these two, as a meaning, is not so closely connected. But uh, if you see these two titles in Chinese characters, you can see the, the same characters in both titles. Key, that means function. And this then means uh, total or entire or whole. So Zenki is total function or uh, entire function. And even though this, uh, this is moon, but Dogen makes a kind of a Dogen phrase with words. Uh, this two, this two is same character with like a capital. Like, uh, you know, uh, for example, uh, Kyoto. Kyoto is the capital of Japan for more than 1,000 years. And To, this also sounds To. Kyo and, Kyo and To both means the capital, the center of the world, center of the country. And this To also means entirety as a Chinese, Chinese uh, character. So Zenki and Tsuki as a Chinese character is the same, same meaning. It sounds strange, but, but as a Japanese, we, we pronounce this, this as Tsuki, and that means, means moon. This is one of the uh, unique way of Chinese uh, characters in Japan, as Japanese. That means uh, we call this kind of uh, lighting using uh, lighting Japanese word uh, using English, uh, not English, Chinese word, Chinese characters as uh, manyogana. Kana or gana. Manyo, I think you may know the very uh, famous collection of Japanese poems. Uh, made, collected, I think, in the 7th or 8th century. That was called Manyo Shu. And at that time, we, Japan, we Japanese didn't have Japanese alphabet. You know, Chinese character was first character, first, first letters we learned from Chinese. So Chinese character was only letters we could, Japanese could use. So uh, Japanese people use Chinese characters to read Japanese, to write and read Japanese. And when, uh, you know, this tsuki is a Japanese word for moon. And Chinese character for moon is this one. 
but in this fascicle, Dogen write uh, instead of this Chinese character that means moon, he write in this way, Tsuki. And the meaning is the same with Zenki. So he is a kind of a, he's almost like a magician of the language. So on the surface, there's no connection about the total function and moon. But by using this Mayogana, uh, he showed what he's talking or writing about the moon is the same as uh, what he wrote about Zenki. This, this, this is a kind of magic. And uh, later in Japan, you know, uh, by modifying Chinese uh, characters, we invented Japanese uh, characters or Japanese alphabet. That is what called kana. And we have two kana. One is uh, hiragana. Another is katakana. These two uh, style of writing was invented, I think, in 9th or 10th century. <laughs> and hiragana was invented by women. You know, so, uh, for example, the famous uh, Japanese novel written by uh, Murasaki Shikibu, the woman novelist, uh, was written in hiragana. And katakana was uh, created by Buddhist monks in order to read Chinese uh, writings as Japanese. So we have uh, two kinds of uh, Japanese alphabet. One is hiragana and another is katakana. And today, katakana is uh, used to write a foreign language we received from foreign language. Anyway, so uh, these two fascicles are closely connected. What he want to say about moon is basically the same about what he wrote in Zenki. And also that time he wrote these two fascicles. Uh, if you take a look at the end of the translation in the colophon uh, of Zenki, it says this was written uh, the seventh day, twelfth month, third years of Ninji era. That means uh, 12 months of uh, 1242. And if do you have a, tra a translation of Tsuki also? Uh, if you take a look at this Tsuki was written in uh, first month of 1243. Uh, that means these two fascicles were written within 
about uh, three weeks. First, he wrote Zenki, and second, he wrote uh, Tsuki within, um, within less than a month. So it also uh, shows you know, these two fascicles are closely related. And also, these years are also very important uh, year for Dogen and his Sangha. Uh, I think you are familiar with Dogen's life, right? So I don't need to talk about when Dogen was born. Well, he was born 1200. And he died in 1253. And uh, he became a monk 1213. That was uh, when he was ordained as a Tendai monk. So he was 13 years old. And after this 1213, he had a big change every 10 years. That means Kujui days. Uh, in 1223, he was 23 years old, he went to China. And 1233, he established his own monastery, Koshoji, in Fukakusa, uh, near from Kyoto. And so 1223, he went to China. And 33, he established his own Sangha or monastery. And 1243 was the year Tsuki was written. This was the year he moved from Kyoto to Echizen to establish another temple. And he lived there uh, for 10 years and he died 1253. So it's kind of interesting to know, you know, after he became a Buddhist monk, uh, each, uh, every 10 years he had a big change. Anyway, uh, so the end of 42 and the beginning of 43 was uh, the time these two fascicles were written. And uh, about uh, Zenki, this is uh, another, there is another imp kind of uh, unusual point about this fascicle. That is, uh, before that date, uh, it is said at the end of Zenki, uh, it taught to the assembly at the residence of the former governor of Izumo province next to Rokoharaji Temple. That means this fascicle was presented not at his temple, but he visited this place. And this place, you know, this uh, former governor of Izumo province referred to uh, Hatano Yoshishige. Uh, Hatano was his family name, and Yoshige was his first name. 
this Hatano Yoshige was a lord. Uh, he was a warrior, a samurai, and he had an office in Kyoto near this temple, Rokuhara Mitsuji. So uh, Dogen Zenji visited his house, his home, and gave the pre presentation of Zenki. So this uh, Zenki was not present, presented to his, uh, to his monks, but this was offered to the lay people, mainly uh, warriors or samurais. And uh, this uh, might be important event for Dogen because the reason or why Dogen and his Sangha moved from Kyoto to Echiden was this person uh, invited him. He had uh, his own uh, property in Echizen. So that was uh, December or 12th of 42. And uh, in the, 40, the next year, 43, in seventh month, said they left uh, Koshoji in Kyoto or Fukakusa, seventeenth uh, day of seventh month, and uh, before that, in I think fourth month, he uh, presented another fascicle of Shobogenzo entitled Kato at the same temple, Rokuhara uh, Mitsuji in this case, not Hatano's house, but this temple near from Hatano's house. So his Dogen's visit of you know, Hatano's house and this temple uh, had some, I think, some connection with his move. And we don't really know why he had to move. There are many you know, opinions, and uh, almost each scholar has different opinion why Dogen and his son had to move, had to leave Kyoto and move to Echizen. You know, Kyoto was a capital of Japan, and uh, you know, Echizen or Fair today's Eheji located is very uh, you know far from that capital, and it's very in the very deep mountains. One one uh, kind of scholars think you know. Dogen's temple, Koshoji, was attacked by the Tendai monks. At the time, you know, the Tendai school based on Mount Hiei had uh, uh, not only religious uh, authority, but also they had uh, political power and econo economical power and also uh, military power. They had so-called monk soldiers, and they could, they, you know, those big temples fought each other. Anyway, uh, one theory was Dogen's uh, Koshoji was attacked by those soldier monks, so they had to move, but there's no uh, evidence about that, and there are another 
the different theories, but uh, we really don't know. But I think one thing uh, is was true. Their move was so, how can I say, abrupt. You know, if they Dogen wanted to move his monastery to other places, I think first he went to that place and found a good location and made arrangement for the you know property and workers, uh, carpenters, that kind of things, and wait until the new temple was built. Then they can move and continue to, pr to practice with interruption. But it seems their move was very abrupt. When they moved to Echizen, they didn't have temple. So Dogen and his Sangha had to stay in a very tiny old temples, to, uh, at least two places. It seems they are moving around for, I think, one and a half years. So that there must be some reason they had to move so immediately. Uh, and yet we don't know why, what was that reason. But anyway, so this, these two years are very big, you know, change for in Dogen's life. So there might be some problems with uh, Buddhist establish, establishment at that time. But uh, another kind of interesting and important thing is. In these two years, 42 and 43, Dogen wrote many fascicles of Shobogenzo. Uh, in 42, he wrote 16 fascicles. And in 43, the year he moved, he wrote 26. And f 44, he wrote 12, and 45, only five fascicles, and 46, only one. So uh, he wrote uh, 30, 42 fascicles of Shobogenzo within the, these two years. That means almost half of Shobogenzo were written within these years. That was, to me, that was amazing. If they had such a kind of a political you know, difficulties with other schools. So uh, when he wrote this, this Shobo Genzo, Zenki and Tsuki, uh, he was most productive in terms of Shobo Genzo. After 46, when he finished uh, writing Shobo Genzo, he, it seems he changed the focus of his teaching method. Uh, after, that means Eheji was established uh, in the year 44, and they started to practice at, uh, originally the temple was called Daibutsuji not Eheji. 
Dogen changed the name of the temple in f the year 46. But anyway, at the new monastery, <coughs> they started to practice uh, from the summer practice period uh, in the year 45. After that, uh, she you know, gave a lot of formal Dharma discourses recorded in Ehe Kolok. Ehe Kolok uh, in English translation is uh, Dogen's extensive record. I translated that uh, you know, uh, record uh, with Taigen, Dan Leighton, and it's a big book. Ehe Kolok has 10 volumes and all written in Chinese. That is the difference between Shobo Genzo and Ehe Kolok. And it seems Dogen uh, finished writing Shobo Genzo when the, in the year he uh, established Eheji. And after that, he, he focused on giving a Dharma discourses, formal Dharma discourses. Uh, but uh, probably that is not uh, really true. I mean, after he finished writing uh, Shobo Genzo with dates, I, I think he's continued to work on Shobo Genzo. I mean, he wanted to make Shobo Genzo into the collection of 100 fascicles. Until here, he wrote 75. So he wanted to make the collection of Shobo Gendo into 100, and he started to write new uh, fascicles. And it said he wrote 12 before his death. And these 12 uh, fascicles are separate from 75 earlier versions. And we don't know uh, what was Dogen's plan if he wanted to uh, write 20 more, 25 more fascicles and made it, make it 100. Or some scholars think these are not final version, 75. Probably he wanted to rewrite or at least revise some of 75 fascicle version. And make it completely new 100 fascicle version of Shobo Genzo. But unfortunately, he died uh, in 53 before he completed that uh, project. So we only have 75 fascicles and 12 fascicle version to collection of Shobo Genzo. That is uh, what we can think about, you know, the, about Shobo, the writing of Shobo Genzo in Dogen Zenji's life. <coughs> but uh, because of the, you know, time he wrote Zenki and Tsuki, I think uh, we can see these two fascicles are closely connected 
and uh, part of the part of his writing work when he was most uh, productive. And uh, when I study Shobogenzo, Zenki, and Tsuki, I can see the kind of a uh, structure, very very basic structure of his way of thinking and uh, his insight of Dharma. Uh, so I think study Shobogenzo, Zenki, and Tsuki was very important and interesting to understand Dogen. And this actually this is the second time I study and talk about Zenki during Genzoe. The last time I think I had Genzoe uh, at uh, Sanshinji uh, instead of Tsuki. I studied Zenki together with Shoji. Shoji means life and death. You know, Zenki and Shoji is also very closely connected. You know, basically, Zenki and Shoji, Zenki is also about life and death. And Shoji is, of course, about life and death. And these two are based on one koan story about, uh, I'm going to uh, talk uh, maybe this afternoon about the koan of uh, two uh, Japanese, uh, zen, I, I'm sorry, Chinese Zen master whose name was Dao U or Dogo and his disciple about life and death. That's why I, uh, we studied Zenki and Shoji together. But uh, this time I decided instead of Shoji, I decided to study Zenki and Tsuki together. Uh, because, because, you know, Zenki and Tsuki actually mean the same thing. But Tsuki and Shoji is not so closely connected as a uh, content. So, what uh, he wrote in Zenki uh, kind of uh, brought uh, two different uh, uh, fascicles. One is Shoji about life and death, another is Tsuki about the st uh, structure of how this trans, this uh, total function works in more detail. So to study those three fascicles together might be really interesting. And when he talks about total function, it's important to keep in our mind that he was he's talking about our own personal life and death. Well, It's already 11.30. What time shall we finish? I don't have the schedule. Okay. Okay, so I have 10 more minutes to talk. <laughs> Good.
Okay, then I start to talk about this title, Zenki. Good days. He took this expression Zenki okay. uh, from the uh, recorded saying of uh, one Chinese Zen master whose name was in Japanese Engo Kokugong. In Chinese, uh, Engo is Yuan. Kue Kin. Because I cannot pronounce Chinese uh, correctly, let me use uh, Japanese sound. And Engo Kokugon was very famous and important Zen master. He lived uh, 1063 to 1135. He was a Rinzai master. And uh, the most important work uh, done by him uh, in the history of Zen, uh, both Chinese and Japanese, was uh, he uh, compiled Hekigandok. Uh, or in English, Blue Cliff Record. This is uh, the collection of 100 koan. Actually, this collection was originally made uh, another Chinese master whose name was Secho Juken. In Chinese, his name was like Shuedo. And this person collected 100 koan stories, and he composed a verse on each koan. And Engo Kokugon uh, gave a commentary on those 100 koan story and Secho's uh, verses. And that became a Hekigandok or Blue Cliff Record. And this is still today one of the most important uh, koan collection in Zen. And uh, Beside Hekiganroku, uh, he, there is another text of the same person, the, correction, the record of his sayings. Uh, 
that is called Engorok or Engogorok. Engogorok. Gorok means recorded saying. And uh, within uh, Engogorok, he introduced this Koan story. And this same story appeared in Hekiganrok also. Uh, but uh, in Engorok, uh, he quote this Koan story about life and death. These are between uh, Dogo. Enchi. And his disciple, Zengen. This is kind of a very interesting story. You know, Dogo was a Dharma brother of Ungan, Ungan Donjo. Ungan is a very important master in our lineage. Ungan's disciple was Tozan, Tozan Ryokai. And Tozan Ryokai, or uh, Dongshan in Chinese, was the founder of Chinese Soto Zen. So uh, Ungan was uh, Tozan's teacher. And this person, Engo, was Ungan's Dharma brother. Actually, not only Dharma brothers, According to some texts, they are, they are real brothers. But they had a kind of a, uh, interesting uh, relation. You know, Ungan became, became a Buddhist monk when he was young. And Dogo became a government official. And he became a monk 20 years later than uh, Ungan. So, uh, as of uh, real brothers, Dogo was elder brother and Ungan was young, younger brother. But as a Dharma brothers, Ungan was senior and Dogo was junior. And yet, uh, according to the uh, literature, Zen literatures, uh, Ungan, I mean, Dogo, but very clear and sharp-witted person. And he so-called attained enlightenment before Ungan. So they had a very complicated relations. And they practiced for about 40 years together. So there are many uh, questions and answers uh, left between these two. Uh, teachers, Ungan and Dogo, and one of them was their conversation about Kannon, or Avalokiteshvara. And, uh, you know, Avalokiteshvara was a bodhisattva of great compassion. And one, one uh, form of Avalokiteshvara was with thousand hands and eyes. So, 
in the story, there are one, one version of the story. Ungan asked uh, Dogo, what is the great compassion Bodhisattva Avalokiteshvara is doing using so many eyes and hands and eyes? And Dogo said, uh, it is like a person groping for a pillow in the night. Uh, that, that story, I don't have time to you know, talk about this story in detail. Uh, please read Shobogenzo Kannon. Actually, we studied Shobogenzo Kannon in May this year. And that, that conversation about Avalokiteshvara and this, their conversation is also closely connected in my understanding. So I may talk about this uh, story about Kannon later. Anyway, in uh, this story, Dogo was the abbot, and Zengen was uh, his disciple. And Engo, this person, uh, quote this com their conversations when they visited uh, lay supporters of the, of the monastery on the occasion of uh, someone's death. So at the family, they had a funeral ceremony for the dead person. The story is uh, Dogo or Dao and Zengen or Jiang Yuan went to a house to make a condolence call for the uh, dead person. Uh, Zengen or, or Jiang Yuan tapped the coffin. He hit the coffin. Of, the, of course, the dead person is in that coffin. And asked, alive or dead? So he tapped the coffin of the dead person and said, alive or dead? This is a kind of interesting uh, question. Of course, he, they were at the funeral. Of course, the person is dead. <laughs> if the person is still alive, <laughs> that's a problem. <laughs> But uh, I think this question does not, you know, doubt about whether this person is still alive. So they should not have funeral. So it's very clear that person is dead and they have funeral. And yet uh, this person came, this Buddhist monk came and hit the coffin and asked alive or dead. So this is not a usual question. Then uh, Dogo, his teacher, said, uh, I won't say alive, I won't say dead. So he said, I don't say anything, alive or dead. So uh, Zengen thought he uh, rejected his answer I mean, he rejected his question and didn't give him the answer. So uh, Zengen said, why won't you say? 
Then Dogo said, I won't say, I won't say. So say, I don't talk anything about it. Uh, that is their conversation before the funeral ceremony. And after the ceremony is done, they went back to their monastery on their way to go back home. Uh, it said half back, halfway back, as they were returning, Zengen, the disciple, said, please, my teacher, tell me right away, right away, tell me right now. You know, before he said, I didn't, I didn't want to answer to your question. So uh, this time he said, you should tell me right now. If you don't tell me, I'll hit you. <laughs> so he was really serious. So if you don't give me answer, I'll hit you. Then uh, Dogo Dao said, you may hit me if you want, but I won't say. Uh, Zengen then hit him. This was all the story Engo quote uh, in uh, this, uh, his Goroku or recorded saying. But in the Hekiganroku or Buru record, this is a part of much longer stories. But I'm going to talk about that longer version later. But he, uh, in Engo Gorok, he quote this story and uh, Engo made his own comments on this story. That was the source of this expression, Zenki. So let me introduce what uh, Engo said as a comment on this question and answer. Uh, how is it possible to climb up the silver mountain and the iron wall? This silver mountain and iron wall refer to you know, the steep and high mountains like Mount Smeru. That means it's not possible to climb that mountain means it's really difficult to uh, understand and uh, make a comment to this question and answer about alive or dead. But uh, Engo says, tonight this mountain monk, means Engo himself, this mountain monk, monk will place a flower on the golden brocade. This expression, place a flower on the golden brocade, is a kind of a Chinese expression. Uh, you know, golden bro brocade is, is beautiful clothes, fabric. And put a flower on the golden brocade means put a beautiful thing on, on already beautiful, you know, uh, fabric. And this could mean it's an, uh, something extra. You don't need to decorate golden brocade with a flower. So what Engo is saying is, uh, you know, I'm going to give a comment 
on this question and answer, but it might be something extra. It must be uh, not useful. But in uh, Dogen's tradition, in, in Jap at least I'm not sure in Chinese, but in Japanese tradition, this expression, putting a flower uh, on the golden brocade, is used in a positive way, not as a something uh, uh, extra, but as uh, like a, uh, making beautiful, making more be beautiful uh, to or add add something, add the flower to the already beautiful golden brocade. That may, means uh, we make more beautiful. Uh, that is already beautiful. So there are two different usage of the same uh, expressions. Anyway, then he uh, offer his comments. I would wide open the barrier. So he said, I wide open the barrier and discuss this koan. So he tried to uh, make some comment and explain what this question and, and answer means. And his uh, comment is, life is manifestation of the total function. And this is manifestation of the total function. This is the source of Dogen's expression, Zenki. meeting meaning but yeah makes uh, is like a uh, explain uh, what do you call exclamation exclamation yeah and then is total or entire and key is function and gen is same gen in genjo koan gen is to appear or reveal or manifest or actualize. So, first sentence is life is manifestation of total function. And this, this, 
death is also manifestation of total function. And Dogen uh, took this expression, Zenki, from this comment on this koan story by Engo Kokugon. So we need to understand what he meant by this saying. And what is this saying, this comment, what is the connection between this saying and the uh, question and answer in the koan story? Uh, that is what I'm going to talk uh, this afternoon. Anyway, let me uh, continue uh, Engo's comment. Again and again, I won't say, I won't say, is repeated. Within this place, means in uh, Dogo's answer, and I won't say, I won't say was Dogo's answer. This is not rejection of the, uh, his, his disciples' question. But I won't say, I won't say it's itself a precise answer to that question. But uh, his disciple didn't understand. I won't say was the answer, but he thought his question was uh, rejected. Anyway, Within this place, since there is neither back nor front, neither back nor front means there are no two sides. And these two sides means life and death. You know, life is, if life is front side, death is back side. Life and death are always together. So there is neither back nor front. We must accept it right here and now. That means life and this are one thing. Two sides of one thing. So we have to accept both life and death at the same time. But usually we think life is good, positive, and this is something we want to avoid. So that death is negative and life is positive, and we cling to life and reject this. This kind of dualistic uh, or discrimination, discriminative thinking makes our life and death uh, into sansala. I don't want to die, and yet I have to die. You know, this is really a contradiction. And we cannot avoid, we are already born, so we are already living. And sooner or later, we have to die, and we don't know when. There's no way to make a plan. So, uh, you know, this life and death is really a question to us. How can we avoid this? Or how can we accept this without fear? That is really a, a very important point of <coughs> all Buddhists. Uh, one, one place Dogen says, to clarify life and this is one great matter for all Buddhists. 
uh, and I think uh, in June, uh, my friend uh, Doyo Takamine Roshi and Tom Wright visited Mount Equity in uh, Pennsylvania at Diane Benajus Center, and I think he, I mean he means uh, Doyo Takamine, talk about life and death, and he, they think uh, they, I mean Doyo some uh, Lord this. Chinese character. And this came from Uchiamuroshi's Teisho. And Uchiamuroshi's Teisho came from one uh, pure and Buddhist priest uh, thinking about life and death when he had a cancer. When he had a cancer and he was in the hospital and stay in his bed and think, of course, he had to think about life and death. And he thought about these two Chinese characters, life and death. And he thought these are not really two separate characters. But, uh, you know, this final stroke of show, that is life, and the first stroke of she is the same thing. So this is not two words but this is exactly one word, life and death. So when we, I translate uh, shoji as life and death, uh, we, I usually say, not say, but write, life slash and slash death to show this is one thing. If we separa separate these two, and we think this is good, this is not good, then our life becomes samsara. I like this, I hate that. But we need to accept both as a total function, the ex, uh, actualization or manifestation of total function. That means there's no such separation. Well, I already said my conclusion. <laughs> anyway, uh, accept it right here and now, without being separated even one thread with. Life and death fill the boundless empty space. So, boundless empty space means this entire universe. Life, both life and death, fill entire universe. Every, both are universal thing. It's not separate thing, and it's not a personal thing. It's a universal thing. So, each and every bit and piece, each and every bit and piece is unbeared red heart. Unbeared. B-A-R-R-E-D, unbeard. Red, red heart means uh, sincere heart. Unbeard red heart means our sincere heart, means our life, not thinking. This is uh, Engo's comment about this 
uh, question and answer between Dogo and his uh, disciple Zengen. So what Dogo uh, Engo said about this question and answer is both life and death are manifestation of this total function. So we need to think what this total function means. And that is what I'm going to talk uh, today, this afternoon. I'll continue from there. Uh, it's, I'm sorry, it's already 12. Any question or comments? Please. Pardon? So if Dogo had said death, uh-huh. then that would separate life from death, yes? I'm not sure. <laughs> if they are really one, if when we say death, life is already there. When he said life or alive, death is already there. So even when he said one thing, Another aspect is already there. If both are really one, this is a kind of a very important logic in Dogen's teaching. That means, uh, you know, for example, in the Heart Sutra, it says uh, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. That is what uh, is said in the Hajj Sutra, so I think all of you knows. But Dogen uh, said in his comment on the Hajj Sutra in Shobo Genzo Makahanya Haramitsu, uh, he said, form is emptiness and emptiness is form, and form is form and emptiness is emptiness. Uh, his point of saying this way is when we say or when we read the Hajj Sutra saying uh, form is emptiness and emptiness is form. Uh, there are two separate uh, concepts, form and emptiness. And putting is between these two separate concepts, we want to say these two are one, right? Uh, and uh, form is emptiness, and emptiness is form is, is emptiness is form is the same kind of a repetition from both sides. But in Dogen's from Dogen's point of view, this is not close enough to the reality of form and emptiness. If form is really emptiness, and emptiness is really form, we don't need to say form is emptiness, and emptiness is form. When we say you know, this way, we are already thinking about these two different things. That means our thinking is based on the separation, even if we say form is emptiness. But if 
if really, if really, really form is emptiness, when we say form, emptiness is already there. When we say emptiness, form is already there. So we don't need to say form is emptiness and emptiness is form. This way of saying is already based on our separation. So more precisely to the reality, Dogen said form is form. That's enough, period. That doesn't mean he negates the emptiness, but what he meant is when we say form, emptiness is already there. And when we say emptiness, form is already there. So we don't need to say form is emptiness or emptiness is form. That means, you know, when we consider form, so when we see, uh, even though I see this form, but I think, even though it looks like a form, but actually this is emptiness. You know, this is thinking. But actually, we are experience is just this form, right? And this experience of seeing the form, we only see the form. We don't see emptiness. But this form is itself emptiness. So when we have to say emptiness, we simply say, emptiness is emptiness. He said, shiki ze shiki and ku soku ku. That is his, his unique usage of language and concept. So he's, uh, in a sense, using word and concept in order to go beyond or negate the body, uh, negate, the, not negate, but point out the limitation of language, using language. And I think this is the same thing Nagarjuna uh, did, with using, you know, words, concept, and logic. In the case of Nagarjuna, it's very logical. But in the case of Dogen, he was not so logical, but he's more poetic. Uh, poetic. So he used that kind of image. But I think they are basically the same thing, doing the same thing. Does it make sense? So, I think it makes sense. So, life is death, death is life, death is death, life is life. So when someone says life or death, we have to investigate whether this person understands what, uh, you know, if life and death are really one, or whether this person is saying life or death uh, as an opposition or duality or relative with death. That means if this person really saying from uh, the ground of reality or uh, from the thinking. So uh, this kind of makes more complicated. Does it make sense? Good. Please. Uh, when we experience uh, form, mm -hmm. uh, does that also apply that 
we're experiencing formless, even though we don't intellectually experience the formless? Uh, I think so. Because everything is formless and emptiness. Even think, if I think this is form, but this is actually emptiness. So we are always, all of our experience of experience of emptiness. And at the same time, all of experience is experience of form. Because form and emptiness are really one thing. So uh, can we actually experience? Sure. We are always doing always experiencing. But whether we know or not know, it's up to us. Nagarjuna's um, definition of emptiness is inherent. Uh, the self is not there. Everything is inherent in the self. So isn't that an explanation? Nothing has its own integrity. It is empty of the inherent self. That is, that is why we can say life and this are one. If there is one person uh, who is living, and if this person is going to die, then uh, we are, the question is where this person is going. I think that is after a question of uh, this disciple, Zenge. That means, you know, uh, the person is dead, and the dead body is in the coffin. So the uh, uh, form is still there, but the person is not there. Then where is the person? Is the person go somewhere leaving this body? Or the person, where is the person? That is, I think, the actual meaning of this question. If there are such person who can give this body and uh, go somewhere else and be born as another person using and have another five scanners. If there is such a person existing and this person experience life and go into this and be born again as and become another part, next person. Is such a person except these five scandals? Besides these five scandals in our body and mind, beside these five scandals, beside this body and mind, is a shock, shock up in this moment. When this body is dead, here shock up is going. It shock up disappear. Or go somewhere else. You know, this is very important question in Buddhism that is about uh, Atman and Anatoman. What is this? So this is very kind of essential question. Is there self beside five scandals, body and mind? Then body and mind passed away, died, and dispersed. Here this person is going. Or from the very beginning, is such a person existing. 
this is uh, the real meaning of this question and answer, whether uh, the dead person in the cartoon is alive or not. And of course, you know, Buddha's teaching is no such person. Only the collection of five scandals are there. Then another question is, then, you know, Buddha also taught the reverse. What is going to be born? That is another question. So, it's a really important question. And I don't know the answer. Dogen, on one hand, he taught, I guess he taught to lay people who didn't have the background in the Dharma. Mm-hmm. He gave them sort of an essence. Mm-hmm. At the same time, he also, I guess he also taught to his students who were studying entire scriptures. Mm-hmm. There, there are two sides of his teaching, one where people knew mm-hmm. what he was pointing to underneath, but others didn't. Yeah. But I also think even to his student, what he wrote or taught, very difficult. You know, uh, he received transmission when he was 27, and he died 53. So he practiced so-called Dogen Zen only 27 or 6 or 7 years. And I, I have been studying his teaching and practicing more than 40 years. Still, I feel I don't really understand him. Kind of strange thing. Uh, so what he's talking or writing or teaching was really, I think, deep and subtle. So not only for lay people, but I'm not sure if his monk uh, disciples could all really understood or not. Then we have to question for what, for, for whom he was writing. What, what was the audience, who was his audience or leaders? That is another question to me. Reminds me of the uh, teachings of uh, Milarepa, mm-hmm. very much in the same way. I think so. Teaching in a very poetic way, and at the yeah. same time, it was all rooted in mm-hmm. fundamental. Yeah. yeah. They are amazing people. Thank you for listening to this podcast offered by the Brooklyn Zen Center. Our programs are given free of charge and made possible by the donations we receive. For more information on supporting Brooklyn Zen Center, please visit the giving section of brooklynzen.org.